A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Today we're going to be talking about John Holmes and the Wonderland murders. Mm, I'm into it. <laughs> Desi's into it because John Holmes has a big cock. Right. I mean, I'm a simple girl. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know who John Holmes is, he was called the Elvis of porn. Sometimes he was referred to as the Errol Flynn of porn. The movie Boogie Nights was loosely based off of John Holmes, the John Holmes character. But the real story of John Holmes is actually, in my opinion, crazier than the movie Boogie Nights. Right. And this is a true story. We're just going to get right into it. So John Holmes was born John Curtis Estes on August 8, 1944 in Asheville, Ohio to Mary June Barton and Carl Estes. John was the youngest of four. And his mom, um, th- he I don't think she was even really married to this guy, Carl Estes, because <gasps> <gasps> fucking scandal. Yeah, but so fucked up. No one. <laughs> a bastard he's a fucking (laughs) bastard so when john was really little um his mom split from his biological father and she got with this guy named edgar holmes when john was really young and all the kids they just changed their last name because this is their new dad basically what's strange is that mary and edgar got married and divorced three separate times to each other they seem they seem uh, very stable. <laughs> I just feel like you're like not supposed to stay. We're not supposed to get back with an ex-boyfriend. Like, can you imagine getting back with an ex-husband, divorcing them again, and then getting remarried to that them? That is literally the most dramatic type of relationship you can have, where you remarry people more right. than one time. Right. It's like take the hint. I've never known a love like that. <laughs> So Mary, John's mom, was super religious. She was Southern Baptist, so all the kids, they went to church. Edgar, however, was a raging alcoholic. That is the classic relationship. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The mom's trying to pray away the alcoholism. Right, right. This guy, Edgar, was so bad that he would often come home and sometimes even, like, he would come home drunk all the time, but sometimes he would even barf on the kids. Wow. I actually read accounts of that, that he would barf on the children. And I bet you John Holmes was barfed on. <laughs> His dick was barfed on as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full it's circle. Possible, yeah. That's the circle it's of like, life. Yeah. He's like, I've dealt with this before. It's like the original story of the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> but with barf dick. So John, obviously, he really liked any time he got to stay at his grandparents' house. It was a lot more stable over there. Uh, I so relate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Desi, this story is going to have a lot of parallels to both your life and my life. Okay. Right. Got it. Yeah. So get buckle up, listeners. (laughs) When John was four, his mom got divorced from Edgar for for the final time, and she got remarried to a man named Harold Bowman. Damn, how does she fucking find all these guys? (laughs) I don't know. They all want to fuck Mary Holmes. So, um... Harold and Mary, they had their own kid. And after they had their own kid, Harold was like, you know what? Fuck your other bastard children. Yep. I don't want anything to do with them. He was super violent, and he was also a raging alcoholic. So she's not getting great guys. She's got a, Mary's got a bad picker. <laughs> One time he threw John down a flight of stairs. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was not he was not a good guy. So by the time John turned 16, he was like, fuck this, I'm joining the army. He was stationed in Germany for three years, and after being honorably discharged, he moved to Los Angeles where he worked a variety of jobs, including a salesman. He worked at a coffee nips factory, and he was also working as an ambulance driver. And this is where he would meet his wife, Sharon Gabanini, who was working as a nurse at the time. It was romance during the screaming. Oh, yeah. I guess. Yeah, of course. I mean, nothing brings people <laughs> together <laughs> like trauma. <laughs> so he married Sharon in 1965, and during their marriage, she had three miscarriages, so they just stopped trying to have kids right. at that point. Sharon was very straight-laced, and John loved her, but he was kind of a little possessive of her, but they had a pretty functional relationship in the start. That would not last, obviously. It would soon become very, very dysfunctional, and mm -hmm. Sharon would probably need Al-Anon or a program similar to that, Codependence Anonymous. In the late 60s, John used to like to frequent a poker room in Gardena, which if you don't know where Gardena is, that's a area just outside the city of Los Angeles. It's still in Los Angeles County, but right. I've, I've never been to Gardena. I don't, it sounds like a place where car dealerships are. I think so. If someone's from Gardena, they can write us in and yell at us. Oh. Like, no, it's a lovely community where families are raised. <laughs> well, there was a poker room that John used to frequent there. He really liked gambling. So while he was taking a piss at this poker room mm -hmm. in the urinal. Not in the room. He didn't, go <laughs> he didn't go in the room. He was at the urinal, and a guy was taking a piss next to him, and he just glances over and just sees... Wow, this monster cock taking a piss right. next to him. He can't believe it. It's uh, like his Lana, his Lana Turner moment at Schwab's soda shop <laughs> where he was discovered. <laughs> it was, though. It was his, this was his moment of discovery. I like that you have to admit that you were looking. Right. Like, but then you Which can, is a yeah. major faux pas. Right. You don't but it's look. it's like, well, I can't help it. I mean, come on. And that's basically what he said. He's like, pardon me, sir. Yeah. I Excuse me. Beg, I beg my pardon. I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> to be rude, but your cock is massive. That's some cock you got there. <laughs> it's like Wilbur the pig in Charlotte's Web. Instead right. of some pig, it's some cock. Yeah. Like they write it on the web and the whole they town They pissed sees. it onto the wall. Oh. Of the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> like that. It carved into the urinal cake. Yeah. I don't know. Some cock. <laughs> so, so this guy is like, I'm a photographer. Of course. Of course. I'm going to give you my card. I'm going to make you a star, kid. You're going to be the biggest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> With that cock. John's cock was reportedly 13 inches, by the way. Right. And there were conflicting reports, but 13 is the one that come came up the most. It came. <laughs> <laughs> Some people said his dick was 10 inches. Some people said it was 15. It's not 10 inches. Because I've seen it. It's definitely 13 inches. It's got to be over 10 inches. Like, in my expert opinion. So when you see it, I massive. feel like I would not be like, you know, like a cartoon character when my eyeballs pop out for a 10-inch right. dick. But if it's over, then I'm like, wow. Like, right. what, what, what am I going to do with this? And right. then I just spend all day thinking about it. <laughs> it's it's pretty fucking massive. It's really, it's, un, it's unnatural. Right. So John started doing... Eight millimeter porn loops, which were basically these short little, it's like the original Vine. I don't know. They're these short little porn clips. Yes. 
They're gifts. It's like porn gifts right. that they had in the 60s because porn was still technically illegal back then. He was also doing still photography, and he discovered, hey, I really like this porn business. Yeah. I really like showing off my cock. He liked that people were fawning over him. and I mean, guys love their cocks. Oh, my God. They're proud of them even when it's six inches. Even when they're (laughs) terrible. Right. They're so proud of them. So John was like, grew this huge ego about his dick, which... How did he not already have a huge ego about it? I don't know. I mean, maybe... Did he he not know? I think he was measuring it. Can you imagine being like an ambulance worker (laughs) hooking up with a guy with that big of a cock? Like, what is that even like? (laughs) I can't imagine. And I assume... I don't know. Sharon was pretty straight laced. It might have been her first time. She might have lost. Her she birth. might. She might be like, "This is what every dick right, is like." Right. Right. She went And then the next guy she was with, that poor guy. How disappointing for yeah. Sharon. So John was not your typical looking Adonis figure. He was very long and lanky and string beanie. He had this <clears throat> silly curly bron- blonde afro uh, and a mustache. He's but very 70s looking. He's super 70s looking. I mean, he looks straight out of that movie, The Blue Lagoon, except less cute. Oh, right. Way but less But kind of that look, yeah. you know, where it's yeah. like that little like blonde 70s fro on a right. white dude. In 1970, John met porn director Bob Chin. He initially asked Bob just to work on the set. He was like, I just want to work on the set of your porn movie. Yeah. I'll be a crew guy, gaffer, whatever. Just give me a job. And Bob was like, I'm sorry, we already have all those jobs. They've People have been hired already. What else you got? <laughs> <laughs> so John said, oh, yeah. He took off his pants and just unfurled his dick. Wow. That's what That's Bob said. That's quite a calling card. <laughs> that was basically his resume was his yeah. huge cock. And Bob, What experience do you have? <laughs> These are my credentials. And Hit it, flop it on the table. <laughs> Here's my CV. <laughs> Follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You know, it was like the, f- the spinning dicky in the cartoon. I imagine every time someone sees his cock for the first time, it is a cartoon reaction. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did a very good Im- impression. Her face was really hot when she did that. <laughs> so Bob was like, that's it. I'm writing you a spot. I'm writing you a script right on the spot. <clears throat> he basically <laughs> what this sounds like an amazing script <laughs> he, he essentially wrote the script on a napkin and right. this is where the very famous johnny wad character was created right. bob created his own new character for john holmes and johnny wad this character was a detective mm-hmm. and he was always on on the case the case of getting pussy the case of getting <laughs> pussy and and back in the day in 70s porn this was like when porn was starting to break into the mainstream and there were these el- there were these elaborate plots um with big production values n- totally different than it is today where it's like you just go to you porn and you rent a mcmansion in the valley <laughs> right you rent a mcmansion in the valley and you film something whatever but like th- these were actual films i mean they would screen in actual theaters and yeah John uh, started playing this Johnny Wad character that Bob wrote for him, and it was a huge fucking hit. People loved it. And he was really responsible for helping break porn into the mainstream, and he became really, like, the first porn star, I would say. Well, was Linda Lovelace before him? 
Uh, no, John was before. Oh. Because this is 1970. <coughs> okay. So I think Linda she Lovelace was, was more mid-70s, um, deep throat. Yeah, I'm not sure. I could be wrong. I didn't I didn't look up But they're story. around the same. They're around the same time. Right. It was the 70s when porn started becoming hardcore, too, for the first time. So this is right. the first time you're seeing insertion also. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Surrounded by a lot of bush. Yeah. So John was super into it. John loved his job. He loved the adulation he was getting from fans. He loved that people were admiring his dick. He loved Mm -hmm. that he was making money off getting to fuck chicks all the time. His first film, he made $75 a day. And he started to get some notoriety after that. Sharon, however, his wife, was not into it. She essentially felt like he was a prostitute and she just couldn't see herself fucking him after that. She still loved him, but she lost all her horniness for him after he became a porn star. Like, you know, I don't know where that dick's been. Right. I don't want to share that dick. It's probably too much dick for me anyway. Right. Which, let's be real, 13 inches is like probably a little, it's a lot. Even just the tip. <laughs> Even just the tip. It's a lot. It's a lot of dick. But she still was very much connected to him on a spiritual level. But that's what she said. She, she, those are her words. She loved him. He still loved her, I guess. And they this was their arrangement, basically. Right. They were like husband and wife and living together but not having sex. Right. And she was okay with that. But she just couldn't fuck him anymore. So... John Holmes starred in like a hundred movies, like a lot of, he was in a ton of movies and some of the titles of his movies were Tropic of Passion, Liquid Lips, Tell Johnny Wad Was, Tell Them Johnny Wad Was Here, and The Jade Pussycat. During, um, around this time, John actually became a police informant and he decided that he was going to go around snitching for the police on other porn productions which is, this is like the first thing in his story where I realized, oh my God, this guy sucks. Like, this guy's kind of a dick. Right. Because and why was he doing that? Just well, to get his stuff more... Yeah, he wanted to be the only porn star <sighs> there was. Even though he was the most famous porn star at that point, he was the porn star, the go-to right. guy. But he wanted to make sure that he was the only <clears> one <throat> yeah. that had a chance to have success. So that is was, a dick move. It's, <laughs> it's a big dick move. It's a big dick move. <laughs> Uh, John was also a pathological liar. In interviews, he would just come up with these grandiose lies, like how he got into porn in the first place. He said that he was a UCLA graduate, which he was not. And he was also, uh, he was a pot smoker, but he did not do heavy drugs. That was not something that he did. Famous last words, right? Right. It wasn't until 1976 that he started doing coke. He fell in love with cocaine, specifically rebasing cocaine. And at first it was really fun. He was successful. He was partying. It was like the 70s. You know, I just imagine this montage like in Boogie Nights where it's just this big party. Everyone's making a lot of money and they're doing a ton of blow and fucking all these hot chicks. And, <coughs> and that's how it was in the beginning. He was having the time of his life. In 1976, John met Don Schiller who was a 15-year-old girl who moved into the apartment complex that Sharon Holmes was managing. John was 32. John took one look at this girl 
and was like, hey, how old are you? <laughs> I always feel like if you have to ask, they're probably too young. Probably, you already know that it's not going to be what you probably know the answer. So Don was like, uh, I'm 15. And John said, ah. Oh, 18? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. He was like, ah, oh, too bad. But then he was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go after it. Because that's just the type of man that John Holmes was. So six months later, he starts grooming her and trying to fuck her. And Don's into it at first because he's this older guy. He's got a little notoriety. He has, um, you know, drugs. They can party together. And he starts seducing her and trying to fuck her. And this one night, he takes her to Malibu. And he takes her out to this really nice dinner. And he's (coughs) wooing her. And they go and they hang out on the beach. And then he fucks her in his van on the beach in Malibu. Of course. Because how do you make something more 70s than fucking an underage girl in a van? Whose name is Dawn. Dawn. (laughs) Fucking Dawn. Dawn. And this is where Dawn lost her virginity. Was to John Holmes. Can you imagine having that dick when you're 15? I can't. I just, I can't imagine having that dick now. Me either. But when you're 15 and like... That's the first dick you have in you. Ouch. Yeah. That I feel like he better have eaten her pussy first. I seriously doubt that that happened. No. Because <laughs> as we're going to learn, John is not exactly um, an online male feminist. He's not, he's not the nicest guy. Things uh, started to go downhill pretty quickly in this relationship once they started using drugs together he was beating dawn he was psychologically and verbally abusive to her but she was desperately in love with him such is the case with a lot of abusive relationships where her idea of romance was very skewed she was (coughs) had stockholm syndrome essentially right so this is not an uncommon thing in these kinds of relationships and she was also a drug addict and I'm reading this story and I'm doing my research and I'm watching all these um, inter- old interviews about John and uh, reading stuff from uh, Don Schiller's book. And I'm just like, oh my God, like this was me. This was me when I was 20 years old and living with my drug dealer. And except, except I wasn't even lucky enough to be fucking someone who was successful or famous. So it was like, then I really felt bad about myself. Right. Like, if so you're going to fuck a loser, right. at least a successful loser. I was just fucking a loser drug dealer and having this abusive relationship. At least she was, f- whatever. Don't at me. So, by 1978, John's drug use was affecting his work. He started showing up for work late. He was high. He was a total mess. He couldn't even get hard, which I feel like that's, like, the first rule of right. working in porn. It's like, you got to just... Suit up, show up, get hard. Yeah, I mean, cocaine Coke. does not mix with a porn career, even though it yeah. does kind of mix with. Even it. though it kind of I mixes. Mean, it's like well, when you think of the '70s porn cliche, you think of lots of cocaine. But in this case, it was like he had coke dick all the time, right? And they were like, "Dude, you got to go fuck this chick right now. You can't even get hard with your big floppy <coughs> ass thirteen inch right. cock. What the fuck? You're useless." One time on set. John just disappeared. He was there, and then he was just gone. And they were like, where did he go? Did, did he go to lunch? Have you seen John? Yeah. No, I haven't seen John. Where is he? 
So everybody spent five hours looking for this guy. Ugh. And they just can't. I mean, they're he, he's holding up everybody's time. He's right. like really a nuisance at this point. And it wasn't until five hours later that they heard a scream coming from the other room. And it was a woman on set who had discovered John hiding in a closet smoking freebase. Like Gollum hiding in a cave. No dick is worth that. No dick is worth that, <laughs> ladies. It's too much trouble. So he was a full-blown drug addict at this point. His entire life was revolving around drugs. No career could stop him from doing drugs. And Bob Chin, the director, was like, look, dude, I cannot work with you anymore. He was basically the Lindsay Lohan of 70s porn right. at this point. He was so unreliable. He, he was blackballed. He was blackballed from the porn industry. So John stopped working in porn at that point. And because of his drug use, he was losing all of his money. I mean, cocaine is an expensive habit to get into. I've heard. It's <laughs> very expensive. So John had to come up with some other means of income to get high. And this is when he began robbing people. And at first, <laughs> of course, which, you know, I mean, that's, that's what like, we all do. That's what we all do when we're coke addicts. So he began robbing his wife, Sharon, at first, which is like start with what you know, start at home, <laughs> start at home. Very rude. He charged forty thousand dollars to her credit card, which I assume But you can charge coke. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't charge the coke. I assume that he was like buying a bunch of shit and then selling it. Right. Pawning it off for money. He also would sometimes steal luggage from LAX, Ugh. which I just feel like is so rude. Like, don't Can you even imagine like how irritating that is. It's one thing to go into somebody's home and steal a bunch of their right. shit, but can you imagine getting off like a really long flight and you're just like, ugh, I just want to get home. I just want to be in my bed. Like, right. I, I don't, I can't deal with fucking travel anymore. Right. And then your luggage is gone. Or showing up to a vacation. Ugh. I mean, that's even that's, worse. That's really bad too. But then you get to go shopping, I guess. Then you have the L.A. shopping the montage. Right. Shopping montage. <laughs> so Don started going on drug runs with John. At this point, he was still a total abusive dick. He basically had complete control over her. One time he kicked her in the ribs. Just hammering this home to let you guys know that he was not a nice guy. You do no. not need to feel sorry for him at this point, that he's not the big porn star yeah, guy. Yeah, he's he not been. some like farm boy with a big dick. Right. I mean, he's, he's a, a piece person. of shit. Yeah. And he also started pimping Don out. And <sighs> Don essentially became a prostitute. He was super controlling. He was like the classic caricature of an abusive pimp. Right. With his whore. John then met a guy named Eddie Nash. Eddie was originally from Palestine, and he moved to Los Angeles and became a club magnet in Hollywood. This guy was the go-to party man in the 70s. He had a ton of clubs and bars that he owned, including gay, gl gay clubs, topless bars, and various dance bars around town. And he was also a drug dealer. He was very flamboyant. You might remember a amazing portrayal of this guy in the 1997 Boogie Nights film 
portrayed by Alfred Molina. Yeah. If you guys don't remember, if you do remember that very famous scene in Boogie Nights <coughs> where Marky Mark and uh, John C. Riley, he's in that scene, right? I think so. Whatever, they go over to rob this drug dealer's house and the drug dealer is wearing little shorts and an open robe and he's right. listening to Sister Christian. Right, it's and the best it's scene. It's one of the best scenes in all of cinema ever, <laughs> in, my, in my humble opinion. It's one of the most tense... But hilarious scenes ever. It's really good. It's yeah. utterly chilling. I just watched it recently, I think. Yeah. Just that scene. It's so it's good. It's so funny. It's so good. <clears throat> and it just reminds me, as someone who used to live a very um, low-budget version of this life, it just reminds me of every seedy, gross person you end up having to encounter and sort of hang out with because you're addicted to drugs and you wind up in these situations with at these people's houses who you don't know. And you're like, Oh my God, how the fuck did I get here? Right. I mean, I don't have an extreme life like yours was, but I do remember just being like at the pot dealer's house or something. Yeah. Even where you have to like smoke with them. You can't just leave. You have to like smoke with them first and and be nice. You don't want to be like, I want to fucking go. And you can't be a dick to them, even if they're the most obnoxious person in the world, because they have what you need. So, but John and Eddie did become friends, and, you know, Eddie was a total star fucker. Right. And you're not a real star fucker unless you're cool with hanging around D-listers and E-listers, like John Holmes essentially was. Because right. while he was known, he was still a porn star. He wasn't, like, a big movie star. It wasn't like, oh, I'm hanging out right. with Jack Nicholson. But I feel like that is a true star fucker. Right. Someone who's willing to hang out with the D-listers too. I'm actually more into hanging out with D-listers. <laughs> well, you get better stories. <laughs> yeah. I feel totally. like they have they have less to lose. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash H-C-S. Eddie was definitely a monster. He also, like the Alfred Molina character, he liked to wear silky robes and boxers, and that was his <laughs> uniform. His house was decorated like a very cliche drug lord from the 70s. He right. had the sunken in living room. Every, I mean, pretty much everything in that scene in Boogie Nights was very much Eddie Nash based on the real Eddie Nash. Oh, I want a sunken living room so bad. I had one <laughs> at a house I lived in as a teenager because it was the, it was designed in the 70s and it was pretty dope. Yeah, it's the dopest. It was fucking dope. So Eddie, there was also a rumor that Eddie didn't leave toilet paper around in the yes. bathroom. This is literally my favorite detail of anyone's life ever. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason he did this is because he would offer girls Coke if they'd lick him clean after he took a shit. Look, that is simultaneously so disgusting and so fucking crazy hot. <laughs> so It is gross. so gross. I would never do it, but it's there's something like so maniacally evil about it that oh i'm almost God. like wow like you've it's impressive I, it's impressive to that it's so debauched like <laughs> it's so wrong i mean i can't imagine loving something so much to do that i'm trying to think like what would make me like <laughs> like literally nothing i don't i don't think even in my even my own life i would like moment i would have done that die first. oh my god so on christmas of 1980 john pimped don out to eddie for a quarter ounce of coke I feel like it's so low-balling. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I feel like the real tragedy is he didn't even get a good price for her. He didn't get <laughs> like, a good price for her. He just would do it for literally the minimum amount of money. For two eight balls. Right. That's yeah. so... I, I would be insulted if I was Don. I'd be like, I'm an underage. This is very illegal <laughs> on so many levels. You could be getting like a thousand... I mean, I don't know how much eight balls are, but... Well, that was probably like... That's like 500 bucks... 10 years ago when and I was Eddie buying it. And Eddie got it for cost probably. <laughs> right. Money. I don't know how much it was in the 70s and right. or 1980. So Dawn had had enough after that. And she ran off for a little bit to Oregon to hang out with her mom. <coughs> but eventually, like the cycle goes in most abusive relationships, she would come back to John. Maybe it's going to be different this time. That's right. the alcoholic anthem. Around this same time, John started hanging out with the Wonderland gang. The Wonderland Gang was a group of gang members and criminals who lived in an apartment at 8763 Wonderland Avenue in Laurel Canyon, which if you're unfamiliar with Los Angeles, which I feel like Laurel Canyon's a pretty famous area. Right. I mean, it was 
it was the neighborhood to live in in the 70s if you're a musician. It, it was a good neighborhood. It was sort of, it's a good neighborhood, but it was also fun, sort of funky. Right. I mean, now it's very rich and expensive. Right. But back then, I feel like it was more of a mixture. It was more you of a mixture. You had like Joni Mitchell and then like the weird hippies sort of weird down hippies. the block. Yeah. Right. So the leader of the Wonderland gang was Ronald Lee Lanius, who was 37 years old. Ron was a Vietnam vet who was dishonorably discharged for smuggling heroin back to the U.S. inside the corpses of dead American soldiers. So this is who this guy is. Yeah. Just, that's a perfect picture of the kind of moral compass that Ron Lee Lanius has. He was arrested a shit ton of times and he had a big record. And he was also arrested in 1974 and charged for the 1973 murder of a police informant during a drug deal gone wrong. The charges were dropped when a key witness wound up dead during an unrelated shooting, which very lucky for him. He was the leader of the gang. And also, in case we posted some pictures on our Instagram, if you want to go check him out, Ron, he looks like he looks like an alt comic <laughs> that you see on the east side of L.A. He, like, you'll see. Billy Deverell was 42 years old, and he was Ron's right-hand man. He was arrested 13 times for drugs in the past, and a neighbor said that he looked like a guy from a dive bar in El Paso, <laughs> which is a pretty neat burn. Joy Miller, who was 46, was Billy's girlfriend, and she was the leaseholder of the Wonderland apartment. She was also a heroin user, and she had been arrested seven times in the past. David Lind, who was 43, was a biker and a heroin addict, and he was a member of the Aryan Brotherhood in prison, which is where he met Ron, the leader. Nice. The other member of the gang was 32-year-old Tracy Titmouse McCourt. They called him Titmouse, sort of as a, like, ribbing. <coughs> they didn't... Yeah. That was not a nice... That's ever it's a not nice. a compliment to call him that, whatever. Um, they also had two associates that would hang around, one of whom was Susan Lanius, a 25-year-old wife of Ron and Barbara Richardson, the 22-year-old girlfriend of David Lynn. So like we said before, Laurel Canyon was, was a pretty good neighborhood, but this house, this, it was a townhouse, the Wonderland apartment, and it was fucking busted. Yeah. I mean, it was like an eyesore compared to the rest of the houses in the neighborhood with these nice, rich homes. Uh, the paint was chipping, and everything was rusted, and... But, but it was a secure house. You had to have a code to get in, and there was two pit bulls that would hang out out front. Yeah. Another sure sign of a great place. Really good place. <laughs> I'm sure the neighbors loved it, <clears throat> especially because it was always popping over, over at Wonderland. Just like any drug den, there was people coming in and out at all right. hours of the night. There was always loud music. There was always shouting. I mean, the neighbors were just like, oh, that's, that's just the Wonderland house. I yeah. mean, I'm sure they didn't call it that, but... <laughs> Because <laughs> they lived on Wonderland too, but <coughs> but they were just the neighbors expected. It wasn't out of the ordinary. This it started becoming the normal part of the noise of the neighborhood. Right. Like, yeah. It was really the background noise. On June twenty eighth, nineteen eighty one, the Wonderland gang called a meeting to plot their next big robbery. At this point, the gang was hard up for cash, and recently John Holmes had botched a drug deal, and they were really pissed at him. Obviously. John, you got so much blood going to that dick and <laughs> under your brain. Yeah. <laughs> What's your problem? 
So to get back in their good graces, John suggested that they rob Eddie Nash's house. His light bulb moments are so terrible. <laughs> he is truly the dumb criminal. And as you're going to see, there's a lot of really dumb criminals in this story. Get ready for the dumb. Just get ready. And John is like, yeah, Eddie, Eddie loves me. He'll never suspect it. It's perfect. <laughs> and John had a plan. He had a great uh -huh. plan. He even brought them a hand-sketched floor plan of Eddie's house. I would love to see that sketch. <laughs> oh, I know. I bet it was really great. So John's plan was that he was going to go to Eddie's house on the pretense of buying drugs for them. And once inside, he was going to leave a sliding glass door in the back unlocked so that the gang could later break in. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, Nash lived only 1.6 miles away in Studio City. And this was fortunate because they didn't have a lot of gas in the car. They need to get there. They bought with change. They, <laughs> hey, I've done that before. Um, but yeah, th they did not. They were like, we just got to get there. We got to get there. Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about your classic scraping the bottom of the barrel drug addict moment. This also um, happened, you know, this was all just, this was all John. You're going by John's bright idea, too. So John heads over to Eddie's at around midnight with $400 and is like, yo, I want to buy some Coke. So him and Eddie, they're friends. They end up doing Coke together at his house for the next six hours. Mm -hmm. this, is, this was not going to be just an easy, I'm buying the Coke, I'm leaving. leaving, maybe smoke a little bit with you and then leave. No, he was there for six hours partying with Eddie. And Eddie at this point had been up for like 10 fucking days. Right. Like, you have to understand that Eddie Nash was also super addicted to cocaine. But John did do one thing right. He made sure to leave the sliding glass door unlocked before he left. That's amazing that he remembers. <sighs> it's honestly like, wow, I'm so impressed <laughs> that you remembered that detail. I mean, that would just be the perfect if he left and was like, oh, fuck. I, I know. I would imagine it might have taken like 10 times for him to Could I have 400 right? more dollars <laughs> to buy Coke again? <laughs> so he came back to Wonderland to let the gang know that it was safe to go over there. And... This was all happening, um, you know, in the wee hours of Monday morning at this point, which I feel like, you know, I just have to let everyone know, like when you're a drug addict and that's your full time job, you don't have weekdays or weekends. Yeah. It's like your Monday time could, is your Monday could circle. be your Saturday <laughs> time literally is a flat circle. You you don't know what day is the weekday, or what day is the weekend. But the gang decides to head over to Eddie's pretty shortly after Monday morning at 8.30 in the morning, and they were armed with a th uh, 357, sorry, 357 Magnum and a stolen San Francisco police detective badge because they think they're going to pull off some really complex genius right. fucking <laughs> heist. Like, hey, we're the police. Yeah. The San Francisco police. And they're like fucking beaten down car <laughs> with no gas. This is their own Johnny Wad movie yeah. that they're all starring in. Tracy stayed in the car, and the other three went in. So these three guys in the gang, they just bust in the door, and they basically are like, freeze, it's the cops, it's the cops. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, Eddie Nash's bodyguard, Gregory Diles, was also in the house. And so they're like, fuck, we got to subdue this guy. So they start to try and subdue this huge fucking bodyguard, and in the process, the gun goes off because they're idiots, and it grazes <coughs> Gregory, and it didn't shoot him, but it did burn him. Somehow, they end up 
hog tying him and subduing him. I, I don't know. That just seems like a miracle, even with three of them yeah. against one. And Eddie Nash at this point is freaked the fuck out. And I imagine like when you're when you've been up for days on cocaine, specifically like crack and freebase and meth, like or meth and or meth, you really do think the FBI is after you. So right, you're I paranoid. you're so paranoid. And um, a lot of it's due to lack of sleep make anyone paranoid but you mix in cocaine with that and you're just fucking wrecked so i can only imagine that eddie is like oh my god it's finally happening yeah, like the like fbi really is here in his boxers. <laughs> he, <laughs> he really was and there was no one to lick it up <laughs> so they're like where's the safe where's the safe and nash takes them to the safe and this is where they end up making off with a shit ton of money drugs and jewelry they actually are getting away with it. They really think they they pulled off this big heist. On the way home, the gang decides that they're going to stiff John. They're like, you know what? Fuck that big dick asshole. We're going to stiff him. But he, what is he going to do? He's not going to go to the police about it. He can't. They they own John at that point because John has no money. He has no <coughs> other friends. Right. So they get back to Wonderland at around 10 a.m. Ron immediately stashes $100,000 in his room and he spreads the rest of it out on the table for everyone to pour over. They made away with eight pounds of Coke, a kilo of China white heroin, and a shit ton of quaaludes. They really hit the jackpot here. And they decide to only give John Holmes like half an ounce of Coke and $3,000 in cash. So he really got yeah. the short end of the stick here. For once. For <laughs> he got the short end of the dick. <clears throat> on July 1st, just two days after the robbery, Gregory Dials runs into John Holmes, who happened to be wearing a ring that was stolen from Eddie. Ugh, what you an idiot. idiot. This Wait, how did he get the ring? They gave him the ring. <laughs> I guess they gave him the ring. Like, fine, you can yeah. have this ugly pinky ring. Um, which, I feel like you never wear your trophy in right. public. Right. Like... <coughs> that would be like Ed Gein wearing his nipple belt to like the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I know you're proud of it, right? But you got to keep you gotta that keep shit keep on the cool. deal. Yeah, yeah, you got it. So John was not the best of criminals. So Gregory Dials runs into him. He sees him wearing his boss Eddie Nash's ring. He's I like, love "Hey, that they run into each other." Like just picturing that scene <sighs> is so stupid. So stupid. I just imagine him seeing, seeing the ring and being like, "I'd know that ugly fucking ring anywhere." Yeah. So he was fucking like, you're coming with me. And he drags Holmes down to Nash's house where Eddie was furiously smoking coke. I mean, he was pissed. Two of Eddie's customers were already inside, one of whom was Scott Thorson, who was Liberace's boyfriend. Ugh. Of course, because yeah. how much more <laughs> 1981 can the story right. already get? So Nash is like, all right, Scott, get the fuck out of the room. I need to talk to this fucking asshole. And Gregory and Eddie Nash just start beating the shit out of John. And Thorson overhears everything in the next room. And Nash is threatening Holmes, like, I'm going to kill your wife. I'm going to kill your family if you don't get all my shit back. So John is pretty much terrified and at this guy's mercy at this point. At 3 a.m. July 1st, 1981, a group of unidentified man, and by his own account, John Holmes broke into the Wonderland house armed with metal pipes and hammers. 
Lynn's 22-year-old girlfriend, Barbara Richardson, was sleeping downstairs, and she was killed first. She was bludgeoned to death. Next, the killers beat Ron Lanius and his wife, Susan. Ron died of his injuries, but Susan was left barely clinging to life. Then, the killers went upstairs and killed Billy Deverell and Joy Miller. Neither David Lynn nor Tracy McCourt were at the house during the attack, Lynn happened to be holed up in a motel room with a male prostitute getting high, mm-hmm. which I just feel like if I was his girlfriend <clears throat> and I was at the house and he wasn't, I'd be like, hey, like you were supposed to be here. I don't even live here. Right. How unfair. I get my ass fucking killed <laughs> hey. and you're getting your dick sucked by a prostitute. That's unfair. And he probably has zero guilt about it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he was like, Woof. yeah, Ooh, that was a close one. See, told you getting my dick sucked by a (laughs) prostitute and getting high was a good idea. (laughs) After the murders, John Holmes fled to Sharon's house because he's still married to his wife at this point. Dawn was like, hey. (laughs) Right. I mean, like, why did you When when shit really goes down. You go back to your wife? The adult? (laughs) And he's covered in blood. And Sharon sees him walk through the door covered in blood but doesn't notice any cuts on him. So she's like, uh, what did you just do? Right. What the fuck is going on? I just came blood. (laughs) And I just want everyone to know that this is Sharon's own account. Like, why would she lie about this? Right. This is Sharon recalling this many years later. And she said that she drew him a bath and he was sobbing in the bath, just confessing to her everything that had just gone down with the murder and the robbery And as soon as he's done his bath, he just gets up and bounces. Which I'm like, what an emotional vampire. Totally. You know? Yeah. This guy's a total narcissist in case you couldn't have gathered at this point. (laughs) So then he bounces and he goes to a motel room where Dawn is hiding out. So he does go to Dawn to use her up emotionally too at that point and for shelter. Dawn ends up falling asleep and while he's sleeping, he starts talking. (laughs) And he's talking in his sleep about blood and murder and this is Don Don said this in interviews and in her book like this is her own account this isn't just a rumor that he was talking in his sleep and this really freaked her out as it should if you're sleeping next to someone and they're like there's so much blood yeah murder <laughs> but she had also just seen a report on the news about the murder at Wonderland and she vaguely knew the house and vaguely knew these people just from going on drug runs before with John Right. So she's like, she doesn't take a rocket scientist to put two and two together that your idiot big dick boyfriend is probably involved or probably did this. Right. The police were never called during the Wonderland attack because the neighbors were so used to screaming and partying coming from the house. You know, it was like just another night to them. They wouldn't have been able to tell that people were getting beat to death. They're like, ugh, shut up. You know, they're probably like, will you guys shut up? And people are fucking dying right but it didn't sound any different than it did on a tuesday or friday any given day yeah it wasn't until 4 p.m on july 1st that furniture movers heard moaning coming from the house it was susan still barely alive how many days was she there just like the day oh basically yeah because the attack happened at three in the morning and this was 4 p.m okay right so she, Susan suffered from amnesia due to the attack. So she, which sucks, she could barely remember 
anything that mm. happened. So it wasn't like she was going to be a key witness yeah. in the attack. When police got to the scene, they said that it was the most gruesome crime scene that they had seen since the Tate-LaBianca murders. There were even reports of policemen saying that it looked like someone had gone around the house just splashing buckets wow. of blood. I mean, there was blood everywhere. I, I don't know. You can actually see the there's crime footage. Scene, yeah. There's crime scene footage online, and there's blood on the ceiling. There's blood on the walls. There's blood well, on the floor. Well, because they were bludgeoned to death. I mean, that's so brutal. Like It's so brutal. And you know, even their faces, they were said they were unrecognizable. And I could only stomach watching just like, brief clips right of the crime scene footage i'm a little queasy when it comes to that of if i'm seeing something real like that uh but this was a massacre like this was like something definitely out of a horror movie it was pretty fucking bad so when david lynn found out about the murders he quickly flipped and he's like fuck i'm gonna go down for this i'm just gonna inform the police what i know yeah get a deal David goes to the police and he's like I know who did this I know who did this and he told them everything he told them all about the robbery at Eddie Nash's house and he told them about Eddie Nash's connection to John Holmes so John was the link between Eddie Nash and the Wonderland gang so police busted into the motel room where John and Don were staying and John was arrested but he was bailed out the next day by Sharon Sharon needs Al-Anon. Poor fucking Sharon. So, uh, so he gets busted out by Sharon. Um, and John had said, said to the police, look, I'll talk to you guys. I'll tell you guys what you need to know, but I need protective custody for myself, for Dawn, and for Sharon. So the police agreed to that, and they went to the Bonaventure Hotel in downtown L.A., where they hold up there, the three of them with the police, and... John is basically just stringing their asses along. He's not giving them any useful information. He's just trying to, like, cool off yeah. for the next five days. And after five days, they got sick of his shit, and they let him go. So Holmes and Don were like, let's just, we need to get the fuck out of L.A. before we have to deal with the cops anymore. And being the fucking genius that John Holmes is, he hatches a genius plan to meet up with Eddie Nash one more time because <laughs> he thinks he could squeeze some more money out of this guy. Uh, he wasn't even going to rob him again. He, he was stupid enough to say, no, I'm just going to call him up and ask him for some money. Right. And I'm sure Don was like, are you fucking idiot? Yeah. Like, we have to leave right now. But he's like, no, honey, I got a plan. <laughs> and we all know John's plans are great plans. So his plan was that he was going to blackmail him. He said that he had info on Eddie and he was going to spread it around town if he didn't give him $3,000. And miraculously, Eddie didn't murder his ass and he actually walked away with $1,500. <laughs> I don't know what he said to Eddie. I don't know how that worked. <clears throat> but he walked away with $1,500. So Don and John, they went on the run. Their first stop was in Las Vegas where John is like, hold on, honey, I got to stop in at this casino and gamble. Right. John comes right out of the casino 10 minutes later, and he's like, there's a fucking hitman here. I got to go. This was probably a paranoid delusion, but yeah. you would be paranoid too. Of course. If you were involved in these murders and you... I mean, it's coke. probably good because they didn't lose 
the, all the money. No. Yeah. Which that would have been the other perfect thing that made sense with John Holmes. That he right. goes in, he loses $1,500, and then he <laughs> ends up owing some thug that yeah. he fucking borrows, borrows money. Yeah. So they end up going to Montana, which is where Dawn's sister is. And they stay with her for a little while. But when they got word that the FBI had showed up at his mom's place in Ohio, they were like, we got to get out of this part of the U.S. So they head to Florida because of course, Florida. that's where you go to die. It's Florida. <laughs> police. I also want to note that police had also found a bloody palm print belonging to John at the scene. Okay. So it was not looking good yeah. for John. He had a lot on him. So Don and John, when they get to Florida, they end up staying at this really gross crack motel. It's nothing but the best for Don. John was working as a carpenter, and Don was working as a maid. And John was like, oh, fuck, you need, you're going to need to start hooking again because we're not making enough money. And this ended up being the final straw for Don. <laughs> She was fucking serious this time. She's like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And, and he could do it. <laughs> and he could probably fuck his own asshole if he wanted to. <laughs> if he could bend that way. With that dick. I mean, I think he could just bend his dick down and stick it into his asshole, probably. It was so big. I guess. I don't know. I don't, I'm not like a physicist. <laughs> You're a scientist, not I'm a physicist. I'm just a big scientist. <laughs> so Don was fucking officially done. So she called her brother and told him everything that had been going on. And he immediately flew down to Florida where they contacted the police and told them where John was. And that was the last time that Don would ever see him. John was arrested and taken back to L.A. where he was charged with murder. The Holmes trial began in 1982. And this was the first time in American judicial history that a tape was admitted as evidence. This was the crime scene footage tape that I'd referred to before. Right. This tape was actually used in the trial as evidence. John, however, ended up getting acquitted because there wasn't enough evidence against him. So the police ended up searching Nash's home and they found a million dollars worth of cocaine and also several stolen items that were from the Wonderland house. And at one point, um, during the 80s, Nash would spend two years in prison for drug charges, but he never did time for the murder. He was acquitted for that, as was his bodyguard, Gregory Diles. So what's so crazy about this is that this murder is still technically unsolved. But no it seems quite clear what happened. I mean, Right. It's yeah. pretty fucking obvious. How do they not have evidence? I mean, <sighs> my God. I don't know. It's like it feels like the police were just as dumb as the criminals well and the crime scene was so messy right maybe it's true i don't know there just wasn't enough evidence and maybe no one cared enough <laughs> about the victims right <sighs> right they're like ah good riddance they <laughs> yeah they sucked so this was not a turning point for john holmes to become a better person no. to have a come to jesus moment he never learned to go to lessons. aa yeah. to to uh get really into community service no no, he was going to continue to be a big old shithead. John ended up getting back into porn and having a little bit of a comeback. I mean, he was still like, oh, that washed up porn star guy. But he was making movies. He started right. making movies again in the 80s. He even made another Johnny Wad film. He had a comeback. He <laughs> <laughs> I picture the advertising on the on the VHS cassettes, like right. C-U-M-B-A-C-K. Right. 
John Holmes in his comeback. <laughs> He'll come on her back, too. I mean, that's the level of pun we're talking about right. with porn. But every porn <laughs> has to have a good pun in it. Right. So, in 1986, John had contracted AIDS. And he knew about it. This wasn't like, oh, we found out after the fact that he had AIDS. No, he knew that he had AIDS. And so basically everyone in L.A. was like, yeah, don't fuck that guy anymore. Yeah. They found out he was sort of like, like not welcome around porn sets anymore because he has AIDS. And he's like, what? Yeah. Um, I mean, that seems pretty standard. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't using protection, you know. Um, so he flies to Italy. And he's going to start a porn career there. Hmm. And he does. And he went to Italy and he knowingly infected like dozens of people while he was or there. Or he potentially infected, right? Potentially infected, but he knowingly... He did it knowingly. He did it knowingly. He fucked them raw knowing <laughs> that he had AIDS. Sorry, right. to put it bluntly. I mean, no, yeah. I Do you know, though, actually anyone who contracted AIDS from him or HIV? I, I mean, don't, but there's also probably was people who didn't he, know who didn't know and they died right. or they weren't famous enough to where we know or they were random. Right. So he was a piece of shit till the end. All right. He did not stop. I mean, he's consistent. I'll he give was him so <laughs> consistent with being a piece of shit. He ends up, he ended up dying of AIDS in 1988. And that's the story of John Holmes. And, and, you know, I was so blown away researching this story because my knowledge of John Holmes, I knew what he looked like. I knew who he was, but my knowledge of him really extended to the Dirk Diggler character in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Which is a more wholesome <laughs> or typical drug addict, like someone well, who got into drugs, but right. wasn't necessarily he wasn't like a, a sociopath yeah. or a fucking evil person. And uh, you know, it's like if you've, you know, in Boogie Nights that John Holmes character is played by Marky Mark, super hot in that movie yeah and he is this lovable doofy drug yeah. addict guy he hangs out with philip c hoffman and uh john c Riley. so he's like he's a dork he's like, a dork and he's not a bad guy he's no. not he a, just gets into situations he makes a lot of really bad choices because he's a drug addict yeah and he's a yeah so but when I was reading this stuff about John Holmes, like my opinion of him really changed because I didn't know what a horrible piece of shit he was. Yeah, I just had this vague story of him that like, oh, he also got into some really bad situations and made some really bad choices. Yeah, but I mean, I knew he died of AIDS and I knew his porn career and I knew he was involved right. in these murders. But I think my impression was that he was innocently involved right. somehow. Me like too. just the wrong place, wrong time type, type of thing. That's yeah. what I always believe too. But that's also because I've never seen the Wonderland movie. I've only seen Boogie Nights. Yes. I mean, I yeah, I didn't see that movie either. Right. But I don't even know if it's good. I don't know <laughs> if it's good or not. So, yeah, that's that's cool. John Holmes. Anyway. That was, was very that good? interesting. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you okay. so much. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.